0: Welcome to California State of Mind from CalMatters and Cap Radio. I'm Nigel Duara in Los Angeles. And I'm Randall White in Sacramento. Randall, there's some news this week, and it's about tote bags. So what I want to know is what did you know and when did you know it?
1: All right, hold on. Are you assuming because I'm a news anchor at a public radio station that I'm an expert on tote bags? Okay, you may be right. But What is this news you heard? So apparently, folks that are trying to replace their plastic bag usage are turning
0: to tote bags. Unfortunately, tote bags are made out of cotton, and cotton is a thirsty crop. So what we're finding is that this is terrible for our water supply. And of course, if there's one supplier of tote bags in this country, it's our public radio stations. Folks, this is Randall White. He's a CAP radio anchor who our radio listeners are going to know pretty well. Random,
1: welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Nicole Nixon has big shoes to fill, so I'll do my best today. (laughs) She sure does. Speaking of Nicole Nixon, she would want to know about this PPIC poll that is now out. Uh, The most recent polling heading into the California gubernatorial recall election. It shows the camp working to get Governor Gavin Newsom out of office may not have the votes needed to succeed. According to the PPIC survey, it was released on Wednesday. Among California likely voters, 39 percent would vote yes to remove Newsom, while 58 percent would vote no.
0: And now some folks making seventy five thousand dollars or less as individuals are getting six hundred dollars stimulus payments.
1: A GOP frontrunner in this campaign, Larry Elder, says he finds it suspicious that the payments are arriving as voters are filling out their ballots. Uh, but not everyone is getting a check, and some are upset that they're not, which could backfire if the timing was truly motivated by the election. Your colleague at Cal Matters, Jackie Botts, has a piece on people who, because they didn't earn any money last year, don't qualify for the stimulus checks and blame Newsom for that oversight. Well, let's get some good news. UC Davis has a study out, too, and it's surprising for one particular crop
0: in California, and it's wine grapes. Yeah, our wine growers report that drought and using
1: about half the water they're used to is not going to kill those grapes. That is good news in our household. (laughs) Not only won't it kill the grapes, but the study's author, Khan Katurl, says the grapes showed no decline in flavor, color, and sugar content. We should point out that this is for grapes grown in the state's coastal regions, not the hot Central Valley. But to sum it up, Couturel says in the end, the drought is not coming for our wine. That's a quote from him. Uh, but it could be coming for some other crops, right, Nigel? Yeah,
0: especially the most water-intensive crops like almonds. So we're going to talk to the person charged with promoting California ag to the rest of the world as secretary of the California Department of Food and Agriculture. So let's bring her on here. Karen Ross grew up on a small farm southwest of Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. We're going to talk about the drought, the crops, and the fate of her football team, the terrible Nebraska Corn Huskers. First, let's go back to Central California in the 1960s and hear from former President JFK at the groundbreaking of one of the state's largest reservoirs.
1: This has
2: brought your state to be the pioneer in the United States in the field of development and conservation of our natural resources. California in this area is number one. And it has helped make possible the San Luis Project, which joins all of us together as full and equal partners. In many ways, the growth problems and the conservation problems of California are the same kind of problems that our country faces. To come here from the eastern United States and to realize what a booming country this really is, it gives us new encouragement to consider what actions we can take in the 60s to make life easier for those who are coming in the 70s.
0: Ask not what almonds can do for you. Ask what you can do for your almonds. Secretary Ross, can we keep growing almonds in the state? Yes. Yes,
2: we can, Nigel. That's, uh, (laughs) you took me off guard there for a second. But almonds are one of many specialty crops that are unique to California because we have the Mediterranean climate that we do, and we have that infrastructure that those before us made the investments in. And we have an almond sector that is very progressive in their farming practices, Almond Board of California has some outstanding goals for sustainability for the year 2025, including taking already strong conservation measures and reducing the amount of water to produce a pound of almonds by 20 percent. So, yes, with our infrastructure and the people that we have in this industry, we can continue to grow almonds and many other specialty crops.
0: These water-intensive crops, are they going to need to take a smaller share of... growing region? I mean, are we going to need to see less of this and more things that can sustain in a drier environment?
2: Sure. So part of that is we need to do even more plant breeding to be able to increase the drought resiliency of the varietals that we do grow. We also can never slack off on the great conservation momentum that we have. We have a very strong record in California of using water very efficiently, but we can always make improvements. You know, processing tomatoes literally transformed that industry, and we grow about a third of the world's processing tomatoes. When they move to drip irrigation, they decrease the use of water by 40%, but the preciseness of applying that water improved their productivity by 50%. The dairy industry, over the last 40 years, since about the time of that JFK speech, has reduced their water use to produce a gallon of milk by 88%, and all of them are on this trajectory working with our scientists, our researchers to improve our conservation practices. We must do that. These resources are precious. We have to make sure we're using every drop as wisely as possible, that we're recycling water wherever we can, that we're capturing wastewater. Um, It's an all of the above approach to our water resiliency.
0: So reform from within the system that exists, we don't need something as radical as just pulling up certain crops, ripping things out of the ground and restarting in some areas.
2: Oh, Nigel, no, I don't want to I don't want to naively lead people into we're going to keep growing exactly the way that we are. We know that we have seen this in every drought. There will be significant reduction in acres that are that are being farmed. So that type of annual fallowing is definitely going to continue to be a part of California agriculture. And with this drought, we also have the first drought with the implementation of the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act Act which means we're, we're really looking at not overdrafting our aquifers because we're in the process of restoring balance over a period of time. So we're not going to be able to pump at the same level. We will see acres fallow just as we have in previous droughts. And we will see some acres permanently fallowed. It's a big discussion at the Capitol, even as we speak.
0: For our listeners, so when we talk about an area going permanently fallowed, we we we're talking about land that will no longer be used for crop production permanently.
2: Yeah, I think it'll be a combination of things. What we don't want is bare ground because that creates air quality issues because of wind and soil erosion. We know we have huge opportunities of strategically siting renewable energy um, projects like solar and wind. And we want to make sure we're putting those on the lands that are most marginal We know there are tremendous opportunities to enhance wildlife corridors and putting in conservation acres for pollinator habitat and other types of issues. And some of this land can be fallowed so that we can use that for groundwater banking and carbon sequestration. So we have to think about multi-benefit land repurposing, including some lands that'll just put crops in that will use less water.
0: Sure, and not to pick on one industry, um, but is there a certain cat, but, right, anything before but doesn't matter. Is there a particular crop or set of crops that would be most likely to end up as sort of a fallow field carbon sequestration uh, area, or is it based on geography?
2: Yeah, some of that is going to be geography because some soils are going to be able to draw down carbon, for example, better than others. We have seen historically, it's our annual crops. And one of the most significant transformations in California agriculture is, you know, we went 30 years ago from one and a half million acres of cotton to, you know, maybe just a couple hundred thousand acres, but we went from a couple hundred thousand acres of almonds to 1.4 million acres of almonds because we are using that drop of water which is becoming more expensive and less reliable. You want to dedicate that to the highest economic value. And so that's what's really, you know, the availability of land, the cost and reliability of water, the availability of labor, and what the marketplace is demanding are just a few of the decisions that a farmer is making when they decide which crop they're going to put in. And if it's only going to be an annual crop like cotton, peppers, processing tomatoes, berries, whatever it might be, or if you're going to make that transition to a permanent crop and you're trying to forecast those markets.
0: Or the Iranian embargo ends and the price for pistachios goes through the floor. Is that That's a very thirsty crop, for instance, that's basically only existing here because of politics. So is there some thought that no. way? Uh,
2: actually, Nigel, I'm going to challenge you on that one because pistachios are a good crop for California. They can thrive on less water. They can thrive in more saline soils. And the world has gotten very accustomed to the high quality of our pistachios. We grow them very, very efficiently, and we grow them to really high-quality standards. So, you know, I say bring it on, but pistachios have turned (laughs) out to be a good crop for California.
1: So, Nigel, back to your thirsty cotton comment off the top of the show. It's interesting that California has evolved with its crops over the years, getting away from some water-hungry products like cotton.
0: Yeah, cotton was once, I don't know about king, but it was worth it to grow here. Not anymore. But still the question remains, is anything gonna stop
1: Big Tote? (laughs) Okay, we're back with more of our interview with Secretary of the California Department of Food and Agriculture, Karen Ross, in just a moment.
0: California State of Mind from CAP Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nigel Duara. And I'm Randall White. Randall, we're talking with California's Food and Agriculture Secretary, Karen Ross, about the Golden State's current drought. Now, earlier in our interview, she mentioned balancing groundwater supply and demand within 20 years. That's the goal of California's new Sustainable Groundwater Act. And I couldn't help but wonder how her parents might have reacted if someone had come out to their farm and said that.
2: My dad would have said, absolutely, we cannot afford to borrow from the future. However, my dad did experiment with irrigation. My brother made the choice when my dad died, and I bought part of that farm that he wasn't going to irrigate. We're going to, we depend on rain fed agriculture, otherwise known as dryland farming. And it's a very hard way of making a living. But he has shifted to no till. You know, we used to have that strip farming of plowing every weed out of the field, and then the next year it would be a row crop. He does cover cropping, which sequesters carbon. It fixes nitrates, um, it builds soil organic matter, and he uses that for rotational grazing for his cattle. So he's diversified his farming operation that way. It has made him more resilient. And in Nebraska, they did pass legislation while I still lived in the state, and Bob Carey was governor, was one of the first groundwater protection laws that was put on the books.
0: Republicans and Democrats have both said the cuts are going to devastate their constituencies. Now, I know you're talking to me, but when the microphones are off, when you're not at a press conference, what are you telling them? Because I'm sure they're knocking on your door.
2: So I think it's important that we not sit in a sacramental bubble and disconnect ourselves from the real life impacts that our decisions that we make daily have for people. And so some are going to be more impacted than others. We know for a fact in this drought like previous droughts, the small farms that may have sh- more shallow wells are maybe some of the first ones impacted. Just as our disadvantaged communities with more shallow wells are impacted on their drinking water, that's number one. Number two, this drought hit earliest for rangeland. Um, for our our pastures were so dry that they're having to go buy hay and feed hay at a time of the year they normally would not. That's at a huge expense because The whole West has the same situation. Many of them are having to haul water. Dairies on the North Coast that are organic and depend on that pasture are having to buy feed. And because they're organic, it's organic feed. And that comes at tremendous expense. And they're hauling water. So they're reducing herd size, both in the cattle sector and the dairy sector. So those are just a few examples of where people have been
0: hit. That, that gets me right when I mean, we're talking cows now. I mean both dairy and, and, and beef cows, I guess This is an emergency. It's a crisis where again, as you said, we're buying hay. We're importing water, which is not sustainable It doesn't make sense financially and you just can't keep doing it especially with the carbon footprint. So Do we need to reduce rangeland do we need to reduce to reduce cattle? I mean I, I understand your point that we can innovate our way out of this But at some point there's gonna have to be hard decisions made about what we keep and what we lose, right? Yeah
2: so Actually, um, I want to reverse that question and and ask you when you're driving around the state, and and in particular, the Central Coast and the Northern California, when you look at that diversified landscape, a lot of it is open space, otherwise known as rangeland. And what are you going to do with that rangeland? Cattle, sheep, and goats are very efficient at vegetation management, which is important to... Um, drought resiliency in that watershed, getting the weeds out of that, but also for wildfire resiliency. So I feel fortunate that we've actually kept as much rangeland as we have in California. Many of those those ranchers have restored oak woodlands on some of some of that land. So it's it's a different farming, but it is a fairly efficient one. They're not taking water out of the groundwater basin. It's truly rangeland is rain fed. <laughs>
0: Well, let's talk about that drive. Let's talk about uh, going from L.A. uh, up to Sacramento. As everyone who's done it is probably familiar, there's the signs along the route, and they say federal water regulation and the Congress created Dust Bowl. These signs go back decades. What do you say when you drive past them?
2: I understand the emotion that puts that there and the fact that they're there is because the people who posted them know that millions of people drive up and down 5 and 99 on a daily basis. I don't know that it makes a difference. What we need to do is engage as urban and rural citizens in the conversations and making the hard decisions of how do we move forward together and create a shared vision. I will say that the governor has worked very hard. He introduced this idea of voluntary agreements on the big scale for the Bay Delta. If it were easy, those things would have been done decades ago, but these are shared resources they have tremendous public benefit, not just economic benefit. And we can't afford to just do that old paradigm of it's us and them. It's farming or fish. It's environmentalists versus farms. We are in this together and we're Californians that can solve this problem together.
0: We we are in this together, but but it's a zero-sum game ultimately, right? I mean, heat from turbines from, from a nuclear power plant heats up the water and suddenly the fish are dying. I mean, everything, there's cause and effect and everything has consequences. So if it is a zero-sum game and there are winners and losers, right? Politics is the art of compromise. In a good compromise, everybody loses. So in this compromise that you're going for, and I realize you're negotiating this with lots of different parties and the governor and everybody else, but in this sort of compromise, who is going to end up losing the most, do you think? And I realize it's not a discussion you really want to have, but who is going to end up losing the most at the end of this?
2: My biggest concern is that rural communities at large, because agriculture is such a huge driver of those rural economies and the jobs that are created there. But I, I, I'm i an optimist. Hey, I come from Nebraska, Nebraska football, hailstorms, there's always- necessary.
0: You need that optimism okay. with Scott Frost, boy. I,
2: okay, let's not go there. Okay. <laughs> but but i do want to say we have learned so much you know we're not we're not doing projects the way that we did you know in 1964 i love that jfk speech more than anything but big infrastructure comes with consequences however we need to maximize and optimize the infrastructure that we have we need to maximize and optimize putting water into our aquifers underground The storage capacity of our groundwater aquifers is a hundred times more than we can do on surface. We need to recycle. We need to capture wastewater. We need to use our water more efficiently and we have to dedicate water to the environment. You know, unhealthy ecosystems are not good for healthy farms. So we have to think about multi-benefit projects and we have to think about cooperative, voluntary agreements going forward or the blunt regulations that are the tools that we have are definitely gonna impact agriculture as significantly or more than anyone.
0: We've talked about a lot of bad news today, but it's not all bad. As we wrap up here, there is a big pot of money and you've written a couple op-eds, including in Cal Matters, about what we should be doing with it. So tell me about some good stuff. What is gonna happen with this budget surplus and how's it gonna be used when it comes to agriculture? Or do we know yet?
2: We, we don't know the final details. What we are your I'm, ideas? What do yeah, you want? Well, oh, I have great ideas. I bet so you do. Just listen to me. <laughs> but we do know that, that the budget is $5.1 billion. Some of that's already been allocated for drinking water, which has to be job number one, safe drinking water and access to drinking water. Um, there's $200 million for small community infrastructure projects. Uh, there's several proposals. We have $40 million for our on-farm water use efficiency program. Um, And we're hopeful that there will be additional dollars for that. We have $50 million for healthy soils, which is building up that soil organic matter for better water holding capacity. We hope there'll be more in that. One of the items I think is most important, the governor has proposed $500 million for multi-benefit land repurposing. Where do we strategically identify lands that need to be fallowed? Some of it will be immediate benefit because we can take some of that out if next year is as bad as this year. Some of it we want to be strategic and think about where are the wildlife benefits, where are the conservation benefits, where's the carbon benefits, where's the groundwater banking benefits. And so spending that money in a way that produces multi-benefits, I think, is one of the most important tools that could be made available. The Department of Water Resources has funding for Sustainable Groundwater Management Act grants. These are all things that add up to water and drought and climate resiliency.
0: Secretary Ross, thank you so much for your time today. Really
1: appreciate it.
2: Thanks, Nigel.
1: Okay, Nigel, a lot to digest there, including how you feel about the head coach for Nebraska football. (laughs) Yep, Scott Frost, he is the coach for now. And that's California State of Mind for this week. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Have a good week. California State of Mind is a collaboration of CalMatters and CAP Radio. It's produced by Jen Picard. Antonio Minez and Chris Feltz are our engineers. The always sunny Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Mark Jones is the tech wiz. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega
0: and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney
1: Fong. Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lesher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Melifera Lagustica by Isaac Joel. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You'll get
0: notified every Friday of a new episode. That is all for now.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening to California State of Mind, and we'll see you next week.
0: Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company.